to Pleasant Good Evening, Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening podcast. It's episode 95 here on PGE. Sam Lebowitz, Jack Hendon, talking about your first place, New York Mets. The Braves were in first for, oh, about 18 hours or so, and that didn't last long. One day special, get your Braves first place shirts. Um on clearance now because the Mets are back in first place and we'll talk about all that and more on this very fine 95th episode of PGE. Jack, how are you? I'm good. I'm there still in first place. I'm good. I thought I would be, I thought we would be in a, in a darker spot here, but like they, that was really just so brief. It's almost really like it never happened. In fact, I don't even remember it happening. Did it happen? Uh, can we confirm that it happened? Because I can't be sure. I don't know. I I I don't know what the uh, what the deal with that was. It definitely felt like the Braves were gonna. There was, I think, an an aura of like finality to the. And I don't buy into the fact or the idea that it was a collapse. But I think for many people who felt like the Mets were collapsing and slowly giving this thing away. Uh, Friday night, I think for, for a lot of people probably felt like, you know, the last taste of first place, but I don't know. They, they they seem to be pretty good and, uh, they're back ahead. Now they're up a half game. And if the Braves continue losing, which they're losing right now, as we record this, it will be a game and a half. Um, and it will be basically, you know, just like it's been, I think most of the last two months, whether this team was a game and a half up or three and a half up, it always felt like they were uh you know right there right behind you and uh they're just gonna have to keep they're gonna have to keep hitting uh they got some good pitching performances this weekend we'll get to talk about all of it but i think the most important thing that we were worried about after last weekend was like whether they were actually going to be able to finish this up and continue beating bad teams and uh they are very much back to beating baseball teams uh it was a really good week uh not a great start but very good finish i think yeah, kind of a weird week, um, which, you know, brief recap. Mets played the Pirates in Pittsburgh and played the Marlins in Miami. We recorded after the Mets dropped a series to the Nationals. So last week was the good and the bad. It was the series victory against the Dodgers and then a series loss against the Nationals. And this week, there was, I think, moments where there was a lot of pessimism in the fan base, in us, and around the team in general. Um, in, you know, the two losses this week, I think were both kind of very scary, uh, losses, uh, losses yep. that had a lot of reasons to be pessimistic around. They dropped the opener in both Pittsburgh and Miami and then won the second and third games in both series very handily. Um, the losses in Pittsburgh and Miami to open both those series were frustrating. They were games that seemed winnable. Um, until fairly late bullpen kind of let it let it get away there were some not so great starting performances but should have been good enough with some offense and the offense never really came through it was just games in which the Mets fell short and then it seemed like both losses for the rest of those series in Pittsburgh and Miami were like a kick in the ass for this team Um, all four wins, I think we can pretty fairly characterize as easy, more or less blowout wins. Um, 
in like the the ten nothing win, the doubleheader sweep uh, mm-hmm. was pretty pretty damn simple in Pittsburgh. A five to one win and a ten nothing win, and then the two wins on Saturday and Sunday in Miami, um, an eleven to three win and then a nine to three win. I mean, they got their pants dropped in the openers in those series. And then they came back and smacked around these second division ball clubs. Um, and what they've done with this, especially with the series in Miami is they've really made it clear that even when things seem like they're on the verge of falling apart for this team, they fell out of first place after the loss in Miami on Friday night, the Braves winning their series opener in Seattle to jump a half game ahead of the Mets, but the Mets beat the Marlins on Saturday, whereas the Mar- while the Mariners beat the Braves on Saturday night. And as it stands right now, like you alluded to it earlier, the Mets already won today. They won 9-3 in Miami, and they're at the end of six innings in Seattle, and the Mariners are winning 6-1. to one. Um, That's a live score update. We'll keep tabs on this one through recording. So when the Mets return home to play the Cubs tomorrow, it looks like there's a very real chance with the Mariners up five runs with three innings to go. They'll be a game and a half up in this division again. Not a lot of breathing room, but, you know, it's not a situation where one loss kicks you out of first place. Back to what I was going to, you know, bring this to a close on the point here is that even when things get a little negative about this team, they prove to us that they're not going away. No, they won't. They they will not go down uh, in September the way that, They've gone down in the past. It's not going to be like last year. I think that's really the big thing because I, if people remember, if you remember this last year, I think it was those series that they had at home against the Giants and Dodgers, two very good teams where like their offense just was completely stuck in neutral, was not getting anything done. And that's how it ended for them. Oh, uh, they awful. Yeah, that it was, little, it was that like terrible a terrible homestand. I think, yeah, that's like that. We ended up doing, I think, our 50th episode. And it was supposed to be like super festive for us because we hit the quarter, you know, the half century mark, but because the week had been so bad, like it was a combination of not scoring runs and the bullpen giving games away. And I think, for example, the Tuesday loss, uh, it felt a little bit like that. Uh, not to mention Starling Marte got hurt. And we will talk about that also. Like you have, when you have those moments, I think surrounding otherwise bad baseball, it really does feel like, you know, the world's trying to tell you something. Uh, I don't think it's like that at all this time around. And I think the ways that they've won these games is, is all the proof you need. Now, as far as why they're losing these games, I'm still kind of vigilant about that. Like, I think maybe in the same tenor that we did this last week where we do the negatives first and then the positives, like there is a continuing negative that's followed them this whole season. And I'm a huge Buck Showalter fan. You probably already know where I'm going to go with this. Um, I really like Buck. I think he's his presence has done great things for them but his decision making late in games when this team is losing by even one run are extremely questionable um sometimes it's passive decisions where he simply doesn't take guys out and put in the big hitters who have the platoon advantages uh when he needs to that didn't happen this week what happened this week was actually an active managerial flop where he was basically gambling uh hoping that by burning, by avoiding burning high leverage arms, but he would still be able to keep games close. Uh, 
having Bryce Montez de Oka pitch on Tuesday in a two run game with James McCann behind the plate, no less your, you know, your, I think weaker defensive option back there with a guy throwing 103 with very little control. Like, of course there was going to be a four run inning. Like, of course that was going to happen. It was, it was Bryce's like second big league appearance. Um, and they had him throw like 35 pitches in it too. Like it was just, I think that even when this team answers back, because they do a good job, the guys on the field do a really good job. You have to wonder uh, how this decision-making process uh, in the first half of these things, you know, the, the worst half of these things where they're losing these games that they otherwise could be winning. And we're talking about a loss that could have been a win. Like those things can easily be avoided with different decision-making like Adam Adovino and Edwin Diaz barely pitched this week. Um, I think there were a couple of close situations and ultimately like Friday, you know, they ended up using Diaz, but they did it after Joely Rodriguez had come in and given up two runs and effectively ended the game for them. Like, you know, why wasn't Diaz just pitching anyway? Like, why are you not using your best options just because you're not protecting a lead or a tie game? Like, I think that that's something that is, is a bit of like a problem. And I would, I don't, I don't even want to call it a learning curve because I don't think it's a thing that Buck is going to like unlearn. It's just a really bad habit that he hasn't kicked this year. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. It is a, it's a weird little managerial quirk where I understand that most teams have the idea of the A bullpen and the B bullpen. And that is a, okay. Like the last, you know, your, your nine to three wins or, are even a nine to three loss. They didn't have one of those this week, but like those are situations where, yeah, whatever, go ahead and use your B bullpen and, and get those guys um, some innings. But when you're losing four to three in the bottom of the eighth inning, that's, that's not, you know, a time to be using your B bullpen. It's, it's a little harder with Joely specifically because he is kind of, I think without a home between those two, the A's and the B's in the bullpen, because, yeah. You know, he's the only lefty who's been able to prove that he's worth keeping on this roster all year. And Hey, hey Alex Claudio's erasure. Alex uh, Claudio erasure. Yeah, you're right. Alex Claudio's had two two scoreless uh, appearances or, or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Joely has mostly been pretty good in the second half of the season, and you should be able to trust him to put up a zero and keep you in this game. But – in the case of Montez de Oca, and then this also happened in the series against the Nationals in that um, the Adonis Medina game where it was 2-1 yeah. going to the ninth inning and then they gave up five runs and lost 7-1. to Like, it's it's a semi-punt of a game where you're yeah. only down a run. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a, it's, that's what it is, is you're using these, like, bottom-of-the-barrel of B-tier relievers. Montez de Oca has been in the big leagues for a week. Adonis Medina has had a handful of good outings this year, but he's had twice as many not good outings, both the majors and in triple a, like he's just not had a very solid season overall, despite how, you know, we want to think back and be excited about the game in which he saved uh, that ball game in extra innings against the Dodgers at Dodger stadium. Like he's been bad and he hate to say it like, deserved to get DFA'd after that appearance and he did get DFA'd earlier this week so like you're using these guys in situations where like the Mets have made a habit of coming back late in games this year especially in ninth innings they've done it multiple times they've had great comfort behind wins all year and you got to give your team a chance to do that 
and you're allowed to use your closer in a non-save situation or in a non-tie game, which are, I feel like, the only two spots in which he ever uses Edwin Diaz are tie games at home or save situations. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about it is, like, Buck shows at times that he's capable of, like, thinking forward and thinking, I think, intelligently about when the best time to use Edwin Diaz is because there have been games where he's coming in the eighth inning when it's close because the better part of the order is up that inning. I think Buck understands the leverage thing. He just sort of, maybe it's that he doesn't understand like how good someone like Joely Rodriguez really is, because then again, he also did this, the inning prior using Michael Gibbons, which fortunately worked out fine. Maybe Gibbons is actually turning the corner a little bit, but it's still the same risk. We're like, you know, you can use Seth Lugo here, who is a far better option. You can use Adam Ottavino in the eighth inning. who's a good option. Edwin Diaz hadn't pitched in like six days. I very seriously doubt that he would have been unavailable the next day if you had thrown him in that eighth inning. So at that point, it's like, why not even just use Edwin Diaz, right? Like, again, it, it's – he bucks on a lot of things right. Uh, I give him a lot of credit. I don't like this strategy and this trend of, like, using the 26th man on your roster – uh, to pitch in games when you're losing by a run. Because even if, even when Adonis Medina was at his best, right? Or like even when Steven Nagosik might have been at his best, like those are situations where if you're close in a game and you're trying to win these games, like, you know, you need to show some foresight. Um, so that's sort of the only negative I really have lingering from any of this. I think Tuesday was a bit more of like a joint. Uh, accountability thing where like obviously Buck made that bad decision but like Taiwan Walker had a bad start he gave up four and runs to the Pirates and had blister problems um, and the offense was like just really not getting it going um, against Mitch Keller right like these are these are not necessarily I think things that you can only pin on Buck Showalter but like now that they're hitting you know you really need this other gear to start moving. And maybe it moves when like the relievers come back from, you know, the Trevor Mays and the Tyler McGill's and the God, the Joey Lucases, I guess. Right. But Drew Smith, that, the Drew Smith's. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess it's really those four at this point, because nothing's been said about Nagosik, but um, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's totally, I think just, you know, use them when you get them, but, in the meantime, if the last guys on your roster are like Tommy Hunter and Alex Claudio, maybe don't punt the game. Like there are situations where you just simply can use your high leverage guy and then use him tomorrow if you need to. You can use him without burning him. Um, and I think that it, I, I just I didn't really get it. But that's that's all I have on that. This was a really good week. And, and I don't want this to be like an extensive uh, teardown of, of the two losses that they have this week. Yeah, I mean, it, it it buries weight in, you know, talking about because it's not just these two. Like, it's, you know, it happened again with the Medina game in the National Series, and it's something that he's done before um, and has been doing, I think, more, you know, relatively often in this second half specifically, at least as far as, you know, I've noticed it. Like, I think, you know, it's less of an issue if this is a good bullpen. It just happens to be a very mediocre bullpen. Um yeah. And so there is a bigger line of demarcation between the good relievers or the trustworthy relievers. I won't even say the good relievers and the bad relievers because um, you happen to have your handful of good ones. And 
you can't, you know, you can't use those guys every single day necessarily, but um, you would hope that at some point you would have guys that uh, are a little more in the gray area, guys who are not necessarily bad, but not necessarily the high leverage guys and guys you can trust a little bit uh, in those late and close situations where you don't want to use an Edwin Diaz or an Adam Ottavino or even a Seth Lugo, even though he gave up the home run today, like, I'm with you. I don't think it's 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 just something that I think bears um, discussion and maybe it'll be a little less of a problem if Buck starts getting his arms back. Uh, It it does seem like Trevor May is going to be back active in uniform for the first game of this Cubs series, the first game of the homestand off the COVID IL. Um, It seems like Drew Smith is getting closer. Tyler McGill is probably a smidge closer than even Smith is. And, and Joey Lucchese, uh, who knows what the plan is with him, but uh, he's, I think made four or five rehab outings now and, and made one today in double a. So even he might be an option to get some left-hand batters out um, down the stretch. So who knows with bullpen, but if, if you add three or four of those group of guys back, uh, into the fold and and you don't necessarily have to use uh, Bryce Montez de Oca or yeah, whoever else is even left in that bullpen at this point. Um, that's not a Diaz, an Ottavino, a Lugo, a Joelli, or a Michael Givens. Um, then there you go. Um, but yeah, that's, I guess, the biggest negative of this week. Besides Scherzer's on the IL, which we never really, we didn't really talk about last week, but well, he didn't get placed until this week. Um, yeah, he we he was hurt, you know, before our last episode. But yeah. um, he pulled himself from his start last week, and now he is officially on the IL. But he doesn't expect to miss more than the fifteen days or whatever. Starling Marte's injury is is I think the other big thing this week, but he hasn't yet been missed, um, because you know it's it's a situation where the Mets offense really turned on after he got hurt and Tyler Naquin had a great series in Pittsburgh. And then the team put up two blowout wins in Miami. Yeah. There were a lot of people that I think generally just woke up. I mean, the people that are still not hitting, that's like a separate discussion I think to be had, like Daniel Vogelback has been out of commission for a little bit of time now, like Darren Ruff is seemingly only getting worse, but, really like everybody else in that lineup produced this week in some capacity, even if they weren't hitting on Tuesday, like Wednesday was basically Tyler Naquin day, you know, he went four for eight. He had four runs batted in. Like he was, he was great. Um, really the last week, I think it's been the week of Eduardo Escobar. I think that's really the guy who stuck out to me the most. He's especially like, cause he's doing it from the left side. Now he's got his OPS back over 700, which Took him a little while to get back to. Um, he's hitting. He's hitting over 500 yeah. in this in this last week. In 27 at bats, he's hitting over 500. And he has five home runs. He had a great series in Miami. Like he, this. I don't want to ever say something like this is the Eduardo Escobar that was promised because like we were promised like a decent veteran player, but like right. it's when a guy gets on a hot streak like this, especially during a pennant chase, like this is fun. Yeah, it's really. Fun. It's especially new. especially a fun guy like Eduardo who's so easy to root for. Yeah. Yeah. He's getting the same. He's getting like, you know, he's getting hangers and he's getting knee high fastballs and he's actually like 
he's looking good against those pitches. He's swinging against them. He's, he's putting the ball in play. He's hitting the ball hard. I mean, he's not even putting it in play. Like he's actually, you know, we talked about how the Eduardo Escobar like home run special is the ball that barely clears the fence. These are not barely clearing anything. Like he's, he's actually tearing these up. Um, he's easily, I think the most impressive part of this past week uh, along a handful of different people who have come through. I think you mentioned the Scherzer injury and like, I think that we didn't, obviously we took it for granted um, because he didn't, we assumed he might be back just with a little bit of a setback of some kind. Um, I knew once he got put on the injured list, like this was going to put a lot of pressure on the other pitchers in that rotation, like Carrasco and Walker responded, but Marte getting hurt, I think was especially dire because, you know, none of the, like Naquin had not been even playing before Marte had gotten hurt. He only had like, I think three at-bats in all of last week. Um, and he actually just kind of gets inserted into the lineup and starts producing. Um, Escobar is getting this regular role now that Brett Beatty's all but out of the picture. I mean, they're not going to put him on the 60 in case his thumb heals, but it, he's probably done. Um, and Escobar's owned the role that he's had. Um, catchers? The catchers? Tomas Nito! Tomas Nito? He hit a home run today! James McCann? James, James McCann is putting together... Uh, he was like six for 14 this week um, with a couple of doubles, I think like progress. Yes. That's a good week. That's a good week. And then Tomas Nito had a great day today on Sunday. Yeah. He had three hits. He had a double and he had his first home run of the season. And Tomas has come close a lot yes. in the last like three weeks. I think since the homestand against the Rockies started, mm -hmm. he has come close like a lot like he has flown out to the warning track or hit doubles that one hop the fence he even it, it, was it yesterday was it the saturday game where he hit one off the base of the fence in center in miami i think he had two doubles in this series too and that was one of them and the, the other one he pulled down the line he had one on friday i think i think was that was that friday i know he had one off the center field fence in this series geez i i i'm gonna be honest i didn't catch all of saturday's action i actually missed the whole eight run inning which by the way i mean eight run inning they haven't done a lot of that this year even when the offense was going fine biggest inning of the year yeah with yeah the biggest slam. of the year um like nito's been great and it's also huge because those are the nine hitters those are the eight and nine hitters really who are basically keeping the line moving and passing it on to brandon nimmo who i don't have the numbers for because there's never been like an ex a, a real isolated period where he's been like especially hot because he's just been great all year but brandon nimmo i mean today hitting the three-run homer um that was huge, but Nito drawing that walk coming back from 0-2 to, to, you know, get on base and extend the inning for Nimmo with two out, that was huge. Um, yeah. And Tomas doesn't really – Stuff like that. Tomas doesn't walk, like, ever either. So, yeah. like, that was especially huge. It was Friday because he didn't play Saturday. McCann started Saturday okay. um, in which he hit that double. But, um, yeah, to your point, I mean, Nimmo had a great game today. Uh, should have had an extra total base to his line like that should have been a triple oh, yeah angel hernandez man oh uh, that was that was a that was farcical umpiring um in case you didn't watch that um if you're you know listening to the pod but uh he leading off the game against his jesus lizardo he laced the opposite field double to the left center field gap that quote unquote wedged underneath the padding uh at this at the at the fence in the outfield except on replay, it's pretty clear that it didn't get stuck. It didn't really bounce back hard, but it did. There was like space between the padding and the ball. Like there was, 
it did bounce back slightly. And then JJ Bladé, the center fielder, played it in without hesitation. And Nimmo was pretty clearly far and away safe at third base. And Angel Hernandez, the home plate umpire, the home plate umpire, the guy who was furthest away from the play, called it as an automatic double um, instantly because it quote unquote got stuck under the padding, even though Bladé never put his hands up. He didn't hesitate. Yeah, you have to do that. If you don't do that, if you don't indicate that you can't get the ball, who's to say you couldn't get the ball? And I mean, it's not even that Angel Hernandez was like the furthest umpire away. It was that like, he basically like spoke for a player. Like he just decided, all right, I'm deciding that this is, this ball is, is. Um, I'm show baby. Oh God. The, the SNY thing. Did you see what John DeMarsico, the John DeMarsico masterclass today? Uh, oh, they, yes. Oh, John DeMarsco, who is the producer of the broadcast, does a really great job. When they were chatting about um, that play later in the game or talking about Angel Hernandez in some context, and then he cut to uh, a clown in the ballpark. It, see, that's like, I think that's the storyboard. That's the storyboard picture of this. What happened was... The inning started, and sometimes they do this when teams are trapped, when the Mets are traveling, like they'll show like an attraction at Marlins Park. Like I think one time they did this with like the trumpets or, you know, back in the day it was that that awful sculpture they had where like the establishing shot for the inning would be that thing. And the establishing shot was this clown, you know, making an animal, you know, balloon animal or something. And then it just, it slowly disperses and fades into another shot. And it's just Angel Hernandez's face. (laughs) And it was... Like, it's not even like that he had the brains to connect the two things. He captured it so well. He needs he needs an Emmy. He needs an award. Like, I don't think I've ever cared this much about the Emmys before. But now that, it, like, there's baseball involved. Like, John DeMarsico has been so good at his job this year. Is he new? Was he here last year? I think he's been here a couple of years, but he's relatively young. Yeah. I think he's, like, Gelb's his age. Well, but... We didn't touch on the Gelb's thing. Oh, with, Gelb's um, going on. Yeah, uh, with, yeah, with Bob, the Mets fan. I like Bob. We should get Bob on the Pleasant Good Evening podcast. Bob, come on the pod. That was I enjoyed that too. I know that I, you it. Got a, you got a couple. You got more years for to get a ball. Give me the ball. Uh, okay, I actually, I can echo this. So he went on. He went on Kimmel because, like, this is the second time that Gelb's has gone viral mm-hmm. for getting a baseball in some purpose weren't the Mets in Houston a few years ago and he was um in the back of the like in the in the camera well past the third base dugout and he like played a, a ground ball feel a foul ball on like one hop with his bare hand and that went viral or something I think so yeah um and then this was a long time ago but yeah but this one was like empty ballpark he wanted to for his you know his job that day make make it part of the story that like he was going to try to get a foul ball in this empty ballpark during the doubleheader. Um, and he got one. Um, he picked it up off the ground, but he got one. And then he was swarmed by the f- seven fans that were in the ballpark that day trying to grab the ball from him. Uh, I can relate to Gelb's, um, his struggle there. It is overwhelming. There was a game this year on Cape Cod. I was broadcasting outdoors in Wareham, which is the only park Wareham W H W A. I see what you're trying to do, but it's, it's W A R E. So okay. where, where ham, uh, 
So we were in Wareham playing the Gateman, and the way that the Gateman have their uh, um, visiting broadcast set up is you call it in this little makeshift um, platform that they constructed above the third base dugout. Um, and they put like there's netting up. And so you're calling it from like basically above the third base coaching box. Um, and I was calling the game and in the ninth inning of the game, someone hit like a high bounding chopped foul ball that bounced up into the cage, into the netting and landed um, off the netting right at my feet in the broadcast booth. And I picked it up and I was holding it and I held it for the ninth inning. And then after the uh, game ended, after that ninth inning, uh, we start packing up and after we finish our post game and there's like six kids in the bleachers directly to our left uh, separated by fencing that are like hounding me for this baseball. And I'm just like, uh, 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 yeah, okay, here, here, <laughs> like, just take it. How did you decide which kid was going to get it? I just, I, the first one that I saw. Okay. Uh, I fairest way to do it, but like, I, I, it's overwhelming. And it's like, first of all, Hey, what if I wanted to keep this ball? I know it's not the right thing to do, but how presumptuous of you that I want to give this away. And two, um, this is just the, like a very uncomfortable type of attention to be receiving. So I understand Gelb's struggle there. That's my little story of, of something similar. The difference there is that I made a joke about getting a foul ball on the broadcast when that ball landed at my feet. Gelb's got on to Kimmel um, for his. Yeah. Well, he got, it's funny though, that Kimmel didn't even include, I think the, like the following little, I guess, uh, side report that they did after that happened where Steve actually got to talk to Bob and Bob oh, yeah. basically hijacked the interview and just tore into Buck Showalter for not giving the guys rest. Um, I mean, Steve in both cases, like displayed just the utmost professionalism in dealing with the conflict of airing this and just the conflict of uh, having to shut this person up and, uh, but I think he managed both like pretty well, but that was also really good. I wish Kimmel had done something with that. Oh um, yeah. And they, they kept the S and Y broadcast kept referencing Bob throughout the rest of the week. Yeah. Like wonder what Bob has to think about this. Yeah. They've Which, been going in it, Honestly, it's like, it's one day it's Bob and one day it's Mets Twitter. Um, Gary just kind of has like, he's got the, the foot on both pedals basically. Today it was Angel Hernandez. And today was Angel Hernandez, right? So I guess it's three. But I was I was talking more so in terms of like his engagement with Mets fans. But um, yeah, the Angel. I mean, anytime you have the three guys in the booth taking turns humbling Angel Hernandez, you have to capture it. You have to take advantage of that moment. And and I think SNY just like continues to do that. And I think it's awesome. Um, update. Huh? Um, update from the. Mariners game they're in the top of the eighth inning Michael Harris has just hit a home run off of Eric Swanson um, raising Eric Swanson's earned run average from 1.00 to 1.20 he then did follow that up with a walk to Marcelo Zuna still nobody out in the top of the eighth but still six to two Mariners six outs to get in that one Um, you know the Braves fans are just furious that now we're playing the bad teams you know oh yeah Marlins are useless, man. They can't stop. No one, you know, none of them can, uh, no one can just win one game against the Mets. Well, like 
They did win a game against the Mets. They but... did, and they didn't to the Braves last week. Uh, in the Braves, I want to, I, uh, you know, I'll take a moment to issue this. Um, I guess a retraction from last week. I think I went off on a slight tangent last week, saying how ridiculous it was, but possibly beneficial that the Braves are going out west for one series to play the Mariners. That wasn't true. That was poorly researched on my part. They play the A's in Oakland, and then the Mariners, and then they're going to play the Giants. So it's like a full three series westward swing for the Braves. Um, Don't know why I was so convinced they were only going to play the Mariners uh, and then coming back. Just plain not true. That's the good team. That's the good team. That's the one that they could actually lose to. Like, I think the point still. Never know about the Giants at home. I guess. Oh yeah, right. Because because they have the they have the systems or whatever, which we the won't quote unquote giants cheating on. lab. The, the cheating lab is uh, is local. Uh, they are playing within the confines of their uh, their equipment. I guess I don't know what it is. I honestly I don't hear anything from anybody. I'm only ask somebody. Ask Darren Ruff about the giants. Ask Darren Ruff about it. When we get back, we should talk Darren Ruff. Uh, again, not a lot because I don't want to do the negative after we do the positives. But... We can parlay it into a conversation about Mark Vientos. Yes. And I think that's what we should do. But yes, the Pleasant Good Evening podcast regrets the error of me, Sam, saying that they were going from Atlanta to Seattle and then back to Atlanta. Simply not true. Um, in any event, um, our Zoom's ending. We will uh, we'll reset. You guys won't notice a difference because I'm just going to edit it here. But um yeah enjoy the roughly two second pause after i finish this sentence okay we're back um see how it just you probably didn't even notice that anything changed but um for us it's been about three minutes or so since i stopped talking about that other thing we were just talking about um and now we're going to jump into other topics of conversation as people on podcasts tend to do. Um, I guess I forgot to mention in the first part, we said we were going to do this. We're recording here on 9-11. We thought it was very nice that the Mets finally get to wear the first responders caps in games. Um, we Gary has made it very clear in the broadcast that he really, really loves that. Obviously, you will be hearing this uh, either on September the 12th or perhaps later if you're catching up at a later date. But um, seeing as we're recording on September the 11th, we just wanted to quickly acknowledge that um, before we get into whatever other topic of conversation um, that we're going to chat about here. Yeah, I think it was great. Um, I know that there was a whole like back and forth with Major League Baseball for probably far too long about whether like it was league protocol or not to wear these hats like a good it's a good tribute it's always great that they do that um i personally think that the games should always be played in new york um doesn't have to be a mets yankees game like i thought what they did last year was really cool and i'm sure we talked about it then because it was really cool but like yeah um those games being at home uh would be kind of special uh but even then you know I'll, i'll take the hats i'll take the tribute um i thought it was really nice and um yeah it was it was great um i'm with you i last year with the 20th anniversary and then having the mets and yankees play on you know the anniversary that was certainly a nice touch and it was a good game too so um big crowd you know all that stuff but yeah i'm glad that 
they're letting the Mets do that now with the Caps. They're letting the Yankees do it too. Um, and they're letting whoever plays the Mets or Yankees that day wear first responders caps during batting practice, but not during games. Only the Mets and Yankees get to wear them during games, which is also a nice touch, I guess. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, I think it was pretty well handled. They always, I think, baseball has always done a good job of handling it well. I watched, you know, part of the Jets game today. I I know they did something pregame, but there wasn't, it, it didn't seem like it was much of a topic of conversation during that, um, during the NFL games today. And uh, Baseball, obviously, is a, I think, a sport that lends itself to a more somber tone sometimes. And yeah. um think they did a good job with it okay yeah. football did a much better job with that than they did the clean dying but we'll save that for something else did you see yeah you see you know you already know what i'm talking about but did uh, the, what do they do just like a moment of silence oh no no oh my god no they did a whole thing like during the pregame on nbc um i think it was nbc maybe cbs um but they you know obviously thursday the queen died and um uh there was also you know the first kickoff of the season and uh, there was just a little a little graphic that they showed during like the pregame festivities, um, and I by pregame festivities I mean like it was like people lined up outside the stadium and they had an anchor there uh, who showed the graphic and then after the graphic sort of dispersed, uh, she was like, "But back in the states, we're waiting, we're waiting for football," and like just everyone started cheering. You remember now? This is this coming to you? I didn't see this clip, but that is outstanding. That is yeah, hysterical. They didn't do any of that for September 11th. Um, yeah, thank God for that. Also, yeah, probably good. Yeah, I it it that's sort of um that's a separate thing. Uh, no tributes really it, that the Mets ended up doing to the Queen. I know a lot of teams did that. I thought it was kind of funny that the Yankees did that just because like the you know the Yankees. But uh, it, it, I understand the gesture. But no, I also the gesture. Oh well, yeah, with the Yankees specifically. You're called the Yankees. Yeah, it's those I mean, Yanks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was probably. I don't know. This is this is. I'm. I feel like I'm. I'm bringing us down a rabbit hole that is too far from the Mets. Uh, let's. Yeah, Mark Darren Ruff. Darren Ruff. Okay, we'll talk about Darren Ruff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not much to talk about Darren Ruff besides the fact that he's been very. Uh, very bad since he became a Met, but especially lately, you said earlier, it seems like he's getting worse. It certainly does. Um, he's like one for his last 33. Yeah, that's the number. That's it. Uh, and God, whether it's a righty or a lefty, he looks atrocious. Uh, they gave up good pieces for him. He has control after this year. He is also 36 and you wonder, you do wonder. If at a certain point, um, he's just his body, he it just can't, you know, is getting old. Uh, he's been bad, and and the Mets, I think, were using him for a while as an excuse to not bring up Mark Vientos, who might not be a very good baseball player for a variety of reasons. He's a very flawed one. I won't say he's a bad baseball player. He's had five major league at bats after today. Um, but for a guy who was doing so well, especially against left-handed pitching in AAA, um, having someone who is like exactly the player that Vientos probably 
can be at his ceiling uh, at the major league level already, it makes it difficult to carry Vientos. In sure. so you know the short side right-handed platoon hitter who probably defensively is only going to DH or play first base. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had talked a little bit in our last episode about how I think how Eduardo Escobar basically served a similar purpose, only playing third base, but like he was kind of the next guy after Ruff who would do that job. Um, I mean, the only reason Vientos is here is because Starling Martz is on the injured list. Um, there wouldn't really be any occasion uh that would call for mark vientos and darren ruff being on the roster together but because you need a bat uh and you don't really have that many bats in triple a right now like you you're not calling up travis jankowski to do this you know Terrence score is kind of doing that job it's uh, like the only other outfielder on the 40 man is khalil lee yeah or dom is, or dom well, like, well dom yeah. if you consider him an outfielder at all but like yeah i mean yeah. khalil is pretty clearly fallen out of favor with the organization considerably and who knows what is going on with Dom I mean the fact that he's you know not a major leaguer right now despite it being September is pretty telling um right I think with that all on the table and the fact that Darren Ruff isn't doing his job my stance on Vientos is like call him up while Marte isn't here because you have to try something you 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 can't you need to see if someone will give you results immediately um, while Ruff waits to figure it out. If he, if that's really what this is, and it's not just the, you know, set in stone that he's not good anymore. Um, as far as what happens when Marte comes back, first off, I don't know when that's going to be. I don't think it's going to be a minimum 10 day thing. Uh, Buck alluded to this. He said it, it, it might be stretched to say that that's going to happen. And I think it's probably for the best that they play this conservatively. Uh, you don't want to, bring him back, you know, destroy him just so you win the division and then go through the postseason without him. I would much rather have to play the wild card with him here than, you know, play a division series without Starling Marte. Um, but you need a hitter to sort of supplement what's not there. And this is really the perfect time to just see if to, if Mark Vances has it. He didn't look very good today. I know it's only one day. He put a good piece to like one ball. He struck out swinging at the pitches that we knew he had, had problems with in AAA, the high and inside fastball. He had some trouble against breaking pitches. This is all just one game. Like, I'm not going to cast any judgment now, but like, you know, it's if, if they look like this all the way through, it's totally fine. You tried it. It didn't work. Marte comes back, rough stays, whatever. But you want to give yourself an opportunity just in case this is someone who can be, who can hit the ball as hard as Beatty has, for example. Um, and at least someone who can do it better than Ruff, because even if you don't have to cut Darren Ruff, um, you can just leave him off the, the postseason roster at that point, and Vientos gets his spot. Like, I know that they're also, because the Mets are definitely thinking about this, not only in terms of the fact that they gave up a lot to get Darren Ruff here, but also that he's under team control, and as soon as they DFA him or non-tender him or whatever, like, that's kind of out the door, but it is also a sunk cost. And I think it's good that they're at least exploring alternatives right now um, while they can. Yeah. I just, I, my expectations are low. I, you know, I have bought into the school of thought of Mark Vientos, just probably not being very good. Uh I, I get that he's got good triple A numbers, but
But if you separate those splits out, he's crushing lefties, and he's really not doing much against righties. And oh yeah, we saw it today. Is the lefties that he was seeing in AAA? Listen, if you're a left-handed thrower and you have any kind of decent stuff, you're probably not in AAA. Like if you are 95 plus with a decent breaking ball and can command it even a little bit, you're in a big league bullpen somewhere or you're in a starting games, whatever. Like he looked very overmatched in his first at bat, specifically against Jesus Luzardo, uh, who throws 97 with sink and a banger breaking ball when it's working, which it wasn't today, but. Uh, he also threw a couple of decent changeups. Second at bat, he got a high fastball. He put a good swing on it, and he hit it to the warning track. Um, and then the at bats against the right-handed pitchers were not good. And it's it's what we expect. His his Z contact percentage, which is the percentage of pitches inside um, the strike zone that you swing at that you make contact with, is is low. It's it's roughly sixty three percent in AAA. Um, major league average is about 80%. So that when he's making swing decisions on pitches inside the strike zone, he is not making contact as frequently as like an average major league hitter. We're talking like fastballs in the strike zone that he's swinging at breaking balls in the strike zone that he's swinging at pitches that are determined to have been in the strike zone that he offers at. He's only making contact with them like 63% of the time. His ground ball rate is high. His strikeout rate is still too high for AAA. He can't play defense. He doesn't hit right-handed pitching. There are so many negatives about this guy that it's just going to take a lot out of him for me to feel like he is proving me and my assumptions about him as a player wrong. And I really hope that he does prove me wrong because I would never root against a player. I would never root against a New York Met. I would never root for anyone's failure. I would never root for a situation in which I made determinations about a prospect and wanted them to, you know, fail so that I can say I was right. I don't want that to be the case here. I want him to be a good big leader because that's good for the Mets. It's good for baseball and it's good for Mark Vientos, who seems to be a nice guy. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not saying that he shouldn't be a big leaguer right now because Darren Ruff has been awful. They need someone who can plug into that DH spot against left-handed pitchers and be vaguely reliable as an offensive player, as a power hitter. And if he can be that guy, then please, by all means, do it. But I'm just not going to be expecting much. No, um, I'm definitely not expecting like much either. Um, I think his role is exclusively a Darren Ruff role right now. If it's, it shouldn't be anything more than that. Like, I think that Daniel Vogelback should just continue getting the bulk of that like DH playing time. If you really need like an outfielder to spell Marte, like Tyler Naquin should do it. You know what I mean? I just, I still. Well, Naquin's, Naquin's going to be starting almost every day. Yeah. Right. I just, I don't really, I guess I, my expectations of him are, are low anyway. Like I'm only expecting him to ever do anything against like weaker left-handed pitching, but like the Cardinals don't have very good left-handed pitching. You know what I mean? Like the Braves, obviously, AJ Minter is pretty good. Tyler Matzik's pretty good, but like he's going to get eat up by Max Fried if he plays. You know, like, sure, but like against Dylan Lee, like I don't trust Darren Ruff against like anybody right now. Maybe Viantos at least does something there. Like I know that it's 
it extremely like the margins here are so small, but it can make a difference. And if all that Mark Vientos does in his time here is like help them win this division, even I'm fine with that. I'm simply asking for three weeks of average baseball and that's it. I think that that's like, it's certainly, I think more justified to expect that from him than from Darren Ruff against bad teams right now. Like, that's the thing. Um, I'm not thinking about, like, you know, how useful Vientos is really going to be, like, next year or the year after that. Like, if he were really going to be that useful, he would have been a valuable trade ship and someone would have wanted him. But, like, the Mets are sort of safeguarding him in some ways. But also I think teams genuinely aren't that interested for all the reasons you laid out because, like, the Mets can't really self-scout and understand that he's not that good. Um, but I just, I, I still think that it's good that he's like, that he's here. And I think that it's totally worth it to at least figure out over the next 10 to 15 days, however long you need for Starling Marte. If like, if for one thing, if Darren Ruff is really just at the end of his rope, um, and for another, if Mark Vientos has, has any sort of signs here that he can do something, cause I would much rather find out now also what he has then go into like the beginning of the next season after people have walked and put an unprecedented amount of expectation on this guy to be like just their JD Davis or something. Um, I wouldn't want that. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, also, I think part of the frustration, and it's not fair to Vientos, is that they did give up a fair amount of talent. They gave up four humans for Darren Ruff, two of whom are big league ready pieces in, in JD or, you know, JD Davis is a big leaguer and Thomas Zapucky, they've turned into a half decent middle reliever out in San Francisco. Cause of course they have. And then there's two guys who are like decent low to mid-level prospects who are probably going to be useful pieces down the road, specifically Carson Seymour, who I happen to like a lot. Uh, yeah. So that if rough is so terrible, that it almost makes you consider a DFA. And then Vientos turns out to fill the role Ruff was supposed to have. And he was just sitting there in Syracuse. Um, that makes it even makes the rough trade even more frustrating because if you could have avoided giving those pieces up and just having had Vientos here um, to platoon with Vogelback or even, you know, continue to try platooning JD Davis with Vogelback. Uh, that becomes frustrating. Um, yeah. no, it, it, it adds another layer to this. And, you know, that's unfair to Mark because, you know, he didn't get to decide when he got called up. He doesn't get to right. just, you know, the only thing he gets to decide is, you know, if he is a productive major league, right. um, which will is remains to be seen. Five at bats is not anything to make any kinds of judgments, you know, about it's five. It's, it's one game, but um yeah, I want him to prove us wrong. I want him to prove my expectations wrong, and I want him to exceed them. I'm not asking him to be Mike Trout, even though they gave him Mike Trout's number. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I just want to see Mark Vientos at his best, and I want to see him contribute some big hits down the stretch for this team. Um, whatever situations those wind up being in, uh, and I also, you know, preferably would like to see Darren Ruff pan out and, and come through for this team, uh, because at this point it's pretty unjustifiable to uh to put Darren Ruff on a postseason roster. 
Yeah, much less bad of fit, like they've been doing recently. Like yeah, they, they I know, really he, I know he played right field today. On this today I know because they played right. They batted him fit. They played him all at once. You know, what I mean, like maybe one or two, you know? not not all three. Yeah, uh, I know he played right field today, but he's usually been DHing, and I love the little meme of DH must bat fifth. Yeah. They have um, been doing that. Although with Vogel back now, they've been they pushed him down to seven a couple times. They got weird with the lineup this week. There were a did. couple that with McNeil batting cleanup. I mean, ultimately it was the two games on Wednesday that they trounced the Pirates. Like I think it worked, and it I, maybe it recalibrated something within everybody. But like, I don't know how how true that's really going to be because I don't know anything about you know lineup construction. Like okay, I, I, I did you see after the Saturday game? Um, Buck said something about how, um, you know, no one on this team has complained about where they hit in the lineup and that contributes to, you know, the camaraderie of the team and everyone's, you know, it's unselfish baseball and people don't mind where they're hitting. And, and then he paused and he said, well, there was one guy who complained, but he was right. Uh, I, he didn't, nobody asked him who that was. I can't remember if this was a story that I missed or whatever but i i don't know if you saw this but this was in his post game press conference yesterday my theory is that it's got to be like jeff mcneil has to be the guy that was it's, it's the only thing here that really sticks out as strange at all and it also stopped like after wednesday it like it has to be jeff because yeah. jeff is the only guy who's like fuck i'm hitting 320 why are you batting me sixth like he's the only guy who would be a hard ass about it, like a like a red ass about it enough. Yeah. Like to be a hardo and be like, I Buck, what are you doing here? Yeah. I would listen, I'd be really happy to to know that like like Jeff McNeil actually is getting more reps now because Jeff McNeil said something about it. Um it, it adds to the character, you know, the character development aspect of this season. Uh but I don't know. Batting him fourth was interesting, though, just because, like, it wasn't sixth, but they also batted him sixth, like, today. I know, but that was with the lefty starting. I kind of liked but having he, him. Yeah. I kind of liked having him in the three spot. I thought that was cool. They tried that last year, and it didn't work because no one was hitting. But like, Yeah, I mean, he had a bad year last year. But yeah. I like the current, with Marte out, the construction of, like, one through five being like uh Nimmo leading off, Lindor two, McNeil three, Alonzo four, Canna DH five. Bat, DH bat fifth. No, Canna fifth. Canna fifth. Okay, just making sure. Um, no, by the way, fifth. by the way, update from Seattle. Braves are down to their final out. <gasps> Let's go. Uh, oh although I will say I've been keeping tabs on this on game day. Diego Castillo is pitching the ninth inning for the Mariners. They're still up six to two. Um, he threw the first five pitches of the inning outside the strike zone and walked the first two hitters. Yeah. Uh, but he has gotten a William Contreras ground out and a Vaughn Grissom strikeout, and now is facing Michael Harris with Marcelo Zuna in the on deck circle. Are we getting second- a Marcelo Zuna grand slam? Is that what you're telling me? Oh, he got squeezed on the first pitch to Harris. I'm looking at this too. I'm looking at this too. He got. Do you you see how squeezed he got on this first pitch to Harris? Terrible call. Who's the umpire on this? I'm gonna look. This is Bruce Dreckman. Bruce Dreckman. He's two and zero on Harris now. With yeah, 
Harris has uh, a home run in this game, and uh, Marcelo Zuna on deck is 0 for 2, but has 21 homers this year. Let's just just get Harris out, I think, is my opinion. Um, oh, well, they got a makeup call here. 2-0 and was – I'm looking at the game day. Yeah, inside really fastball. They got very call. inside sinker that they called a strike. Whatever, make it up, sure. Um, Cal, Cal Rally frame job goat. No, yeah, it's it's rally. Yeah, it's rally's catching. Do you want to remember some guys as this is happening? Uh, we can. Are I'm we not... done with the um whatever tangent we were just on? I think so. Right, we talked batting order. Um. Oh yeah, I was just saying I like that one through five as yeah. the way it's going right now. I think that that's a pretty good one through five. And then you can add Vogelback sixth, or sure. you can Escobar add Escobar six. Escobar six now with him yeah. actually being a good player. Oh, maybe you bat McCann seven. Tomas Nito cleanup hitter. Tomas Nito cleanup. Honestly, there was a game last year where McCann bat a cleanup. I think. Oh, that was that's bleak. Like a June twenty twenty one kind of game. That's bleak. Yeah. That's All right, three, three and Look two. Look how far we've come. You know, that's how I feel about it. That's I think yeah. It's so funny too that like just the total side note, but like everybody's coming off the books this year, and James McCann is just kind of sitting around for two more years. You know, but listen, oh. if he keeps hitting this way. If he has a good last two months and a good October, nobody is really going to care that much. Oh, in play runs, in play runs. Oh, there's got to be like either a homer or a two run single. Home run here would be good. It empties the bases. That's how I feel about that. Like, just get the home run out of the way. Uh, Also, he's on my fantasy team. Uh, But. Yeah, that's pretty much all that like I can think about. Yeah, it was a home run. All right, six homer again. This guy's insane. Can't keep getting away with this. The Braves are going to get two play. today and three in this series. And my not careful. The Braves are going to like give him another extension, but this time it's for uh, nine years and and fifty million or something. They're going to undo know. the other extension, yeah. and give him something that's even more team friendly. Um, uh, I've is, got my cat's voicing his displeasure as you uh, you can hear about the Braves making this a game again. Diego Castillo, can you can you not do this? They have to take him out now, right? Um, you can yeah. probably give him a little rope. Maybe. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, Ozuna's got pop; like he has had a bad year, but like, well, who's available? Seawald had a quick ninth on Saturday. Yeah, I don't know who's warming up. I don't have the actual game open, but this is where they would show some. They see mound visits, so maybe yeah, it says mound visit, so maybe they are pulling him. But that's pretty bleak if you don't trust him with bases empty against like the worst player on this team by far. The two walks and then the home run are not ideal. Um, So count is twenty three with eleven strikes. Sure, honestly, if you have someone ready, you should put him in now. like I assume, like Seawald has to be up. Like I assume he's he's been like they already use Munoz in this game. Like I and they already use Swanson. Those are their two other best relievers besides Seawald. So I would right. imagine I would imagine that if someone's up, it's Seawald. It would probably have to, unless I mean I don't know. They might they might do things strangely. We'll figure this out in a second. I'm not getting a new pitcher thing. This might just be a. Um, this might end up being just a – oh, no, Paul Seawald's coming in. Okay. Let's, let's uh, go. You know what? Mm-hmm. I'm going to remember my guy right now, and yeah. I'm going to remember some damn Paul Seawald. You remember Paul Seawald? I'm going to remember when uh, – yeah. I need him to come through for me right now. So I'm bringing the good vibes by talking about how 
impressive it is to me that Paul Seawald has turned himself into an elite reliever. Um, and how poorly that reflects on the Mets. I'm going to remember when he uh, did the whole Kogan thing and people got really, really offended by that. Uh, I thought that was really funny. I'm going to be totally honest. Oh, we got a pinch hitter. Oh, Eddie Rosario. He's still batting under 200 all this time. That's 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 not great. Um, I don't know, man. Go, I mean, maybe I haven't looked at Paul Sewell's splits. I haven't looked at Paul Sewell's yeah. splits in a while, but maybe he's really significantly worse against lefties. That's well, Luna only... is so easy to throw sliders to. That's the thing. And Seawald has that slider that he uses. He plays off of with his high, you know, high fastballs and whatnot. So yeah, like, which the Mets discouraged him from ever throwing. Right, which was the problem. Uh, yeah, the they well, it was the the Mariners told him to to tweak his arm angle, make it a little bit more three quarter, and yeah. told him to start throwing up in the zone. And that yeah, was he was he was good, man. He, I think uh, the arm angle got a little tweak on the slider, which was was key. But it was a lot of it was a high fastballs. Man, this is probably <laughs> this is riveting podcasting for someone who's listening tomorrow and knows the results of this game. Jeez, yeah, this is um. All right, so first pitch was a ball. The thing is, I'm not worried about Rosario like doing damage right here. But like, if you walk him, it's Robbie Grossman, who only does like just ridiculous shit when the Mets have a hand have like some horse in the race you know what I mean he killed us that last series okay called strike am uh, I ahead by the way are my things coming in ahead of you uh they're coming in roughly the same time okay cool um all right we got one and one one and two foul ball oh, uh yep I'm gonna remember while we're on the subject because we're talking like right-handed hitting uh like trade deadline acquisitions didn't really play the field didn't really produce does this uh, have anything to do with today being the start of football season no no but although i'm interested to see where your brain was going with it because okay continue continue I'll well, i'm remembering jeff conine who i legitimately forget sometimes was a new york met um oh my god in play no out Oh, jeez. Not a homer. Yeah, don't but... throw him that pitch. He only hits that exact pitch at the eyes, the high fastball. Pull the single. Oh, God. All right, well. Jeff Kona, was... I forget that Jeff Kona was a Met, too. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was super unforgettable. Or, un. sorry, forgettable. It was um, uninspiring, I guess. I don't know where I was going with that. It was very forgettable stuff. Um I remembered another 07 Met last week, I think. It's weird that I keep doing the 07 thing, but, like, Darren Ruff has a lot of the makings of, like, a 07 uh, Met who didn't produce. I don't know. Um, given, you know, given a little, like, Ricky Lede kind of, um, that might be another poll. I do remember Ricky Lede uh, also, but, no, this is the this is the Jeff Conine thing. He had like a he batted 195 and he had a 306 on base. So like he still had some sort of tool like stuck in there, but he did not hit and he he also didn't really hit for power, which was like his thing. Um, he had uh he had two doubles, Matt. Two doubles. Darren Ruff only has one double. Only one. Well, he's got some time, I guess. Who was the football? What was the football poll? I thought with? when you said trade deadline acquisition, right-handed hitter. I was like, oh, maybe he's going like Juan Uribe. There's no chance. Oh my god! There's no. It says in play runs. There's no way he hit a homer, dude. That's a home run pitch. 
that's the pitch that he hits out. I'm telling you, it's going to be a home run. It's at least going to be a double, like down the line double or home run. There's not a chance, right? Jesus Christ. Um, he homered. He freaking homered. I cannot believe this. I cannot believe this. Robbie Grossman homered. We're not going to get to watch the end of this game. Paul like, Seawald. The end of this. Paul Seawald, Diego Castillo. Paul Seawald hurting the Mets once God. again. I I really hate baseball. I yeah. don't like it anymore. There's like my dad texting the Mets won today. They won two or three to end their series. Um, and I'm upset. The Braves, the Braves, they just, they can't keep getting away. They can't keep getting away with this. It's so unfair. It's, it's, they won last year. They get everything, man. Well, at least, okay, we'll still, the Mets go into the homestand with at least a half game lead. Maybe the Mariners come back. Who do the Mariners have due? Let's find out who the Mariners have due. So Carlos Santana made the last out, which means the Mariners – oh, God. The Mariners have um, Adam Frazier, Jesse Winker, and J.P. Crawford due. That's that's three left-hand hitters. Um, be against Kenley, right? Uh, maybe A.J. Minter. Yeah, my dad is currently texting me the play-by-play. Um, I know, Dad. We – are yeah, wait till, wait till Dr. Lebowitz during the episode pod. Uh, yeah, five I run nights. I, I know that. Yeah. Um, we're upset about absurd, it. So absurd in the Mariners of all. Oh, teams. and Acuna just found his way on base too. So it continues. Um, right. I mean, the Mariners have nothing to lose here. They're going to get the wild card. That was always the plan for them. And they're not going to. Yeah. So you will hit him with a pitch. So they're mailing it in flustered. Uh, yeah. So it's going to be Adam Frazier. Uh, Jesse Winker and J.P. Crawford. Three hitters with OPSs under 700 are due for the Mariners in the ninth against who have the Braves used in this game? The Braves have used a lot of their bullpen. They've used McHugh, Matzik, Stevens, and Dylan Lee. Okay. Um, so, but that they haven't used Kenley or Minter. And I'm going to look at who they used yesterday while we do this. I was watching the game last night. I don't think they used any of their high leverage guys. Let's take a look. They were losing three to one the whole time, sir. Or I guess three. no, it was Chavez three. and Yates. So yeah. it's still no, still no. Like Kenley and Minter are like definitely available. I hope they go Kenley. I mean, I think they'll go like, with three lefties. Do can you not go Minter? Well, the thing is, the Mariners can probably pinch hit. Um. For someone like they would absolutely pinch hit for Winker because he's abysmal against left-handed pitching. Um, well, okay, who do they pinch hit though? With Abraham Toro might pinch hit for Frazier. They've been doing a pretty strict platoon left-right with Toro and Frazier at second base. They, um, oh yeah, well Haggerty's in the hole, so you can't do that. Um, gee, I don't know. Well, Ty France isn't in this lineup. Well, okay, then he'll certainly get in that bat. Yeah, Ty France will bat for Winker. So you'll do Toro, Winker, and then just hope that I, – I would have the most hope. For you got to gotta get it around to the leadoff spot and let Julio get in that bat. Oh, yeah, let Julio get in that bat, please. It's, this is still going, too. It's one and one now. This is like – well, we said we were going to end on a positive, but, I mean, the Mariners are just kind of making that difficult for us, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 
I mean, it's okay. Robbie Grossman, before that home run, his OPS plus as a Brave was only 86. But he has got he yeah. has gotten some huge hits for them. It's ridiculous. None bigger than this one, obviously. And now Acuna stole a base. Also, oh. Austin Riley's on deck. Like, if if anyone else scores, this game is over. Yeah, I mean, Swanson probably could I – mean, with Acuna's speed, this 27th steal. I mean, he punch a single and get yourself an insurance run. Oh, yeah. I mean, Swanson – I'm not putting it past Swanson to do something. But, like, if Riley comes up, that's, like, the march of death. That's just it. Like, you're done. Oh, huh. my God. This – we've never done anything like this. I don't think we have, No. This we did like a, I think we might have like done a spring training game one time, like a long time ago, where like, like we, I think we watched like, I, I distinctly remember us watching somebody who didn't end up pitching for them that year throw like a 40 pitch inning. Uh, and it was very like just interesting to, to watch, but this is, this is new. Um, people, people are going to be posting the hell out of that Frank Fleming clip. Oh my God. Yep. Yeah. The I mean, Paul, the thing is, Paul Seawald. Paul Seawald. I can't believe this. Paul Seawald. Okay, they play outs. So okay, they they got Swanson out. It looks like. Well, I mean, this time he threw a good slider. That's so. That's definitely like a bouncer back to the pitcher. So I'm gonna roll over. Did I? Wait a second. Oh my god. Did I? I read it wrong. I must have read it wrong. Yeah, I did read. Okay, we're completely different situation. I read game day wrong. The it, nine, one, and two are due. Um, oh. Frazier, Frazier, Winker, and Crawford went one, two, three against Dylan Lee in the eighth inning. I thought that I thought it said Carlos Santana made the last out of the eighth inning. I guess it said he made the last out of the seventh inning. So they've got Haggerty, Julio, and Taylor Trammell actually is, uh, uh, is is due in Mitch Hanniger's spot because they they put him in I guess for defense so you've got a switch hitter Julio obviously one of the more dynamic players in baseball and then you've got Taylor Trammell who is a depth piece like at this, this point is definitely a righty inning I think Kenley right probably Kenley. yeah because you have Suarez Raleigh and Santana like all do up if anything happens nine one two um and like you probably don't want a lefty pitching to Suarez. I, I although maybe you could start, you could start a lot. You could start with Minter if you like the matchup more, I guess, and then pivot. But if he has trouble, I just still don't know if like, I mean, they're both so good, right? They their bullpen in general is just. I think I made the mistake of like, writing off their bullpen a while ago. I probably also said at one point that AJ Minter wasn't that good, and I got my crappy lefties confused because the guy I was thinking of was Will Smith who they traded. Um Minter is really, really good. Minter's uh, Minter's going has it, been very good this year. Yeah. Uh it they still haven't um shown who's gonna pitch the ninth. Um if it's Kenley, there's just not a chance that we're gonna be able to I mean we're unless unless you want to start in your zoom like this is it is Kenley and Kenley works so slow. This is gonna take forever. I'm listen, I'm fully I, I I think that this is we would be really, really mad if like we didn't if we ended here and then the Mariners walked it off. I think. You know what? You're right. Let's just continue case, this just in case. This mess. Let's continue this mess. Be right we back. will be right back.
Okay, so Sam Haggerty, Sam Haggerty's leading off against Kenley Jansen. We continue our live um, talking about the Mariners Braves game, which is happening. Um, obviously, because you're listening to the podcast, you know that uh, Sam Haggerty bunted uh, on the first pitch against Kenley, bunted a foul. Haggerty, Julio, Taylor Trammell do Ty France on the bench uh, with uh, Eugenio Suarez. What is this? In play outs. Maybe he tried a a high bunt attempt on that pitch up. Eugenio Suarez, if anyone. Yeah, bunt grounds out to third. Okay, I guess I'd like to see tape of how he got that down because the pitch was like at his eyes. But yeah, that's like, I don't know. I guess it, I guess he got the bunt down like he wanted to. It's just. So Julio's got a homer in this game. Um, yeah, the fact that the third baseman fielded it too means it couldn't have been that bad of a bunt. Unless no, it had to have been, he had to have actually like gotten around to it pretty well. It just Riley maybe, maybe he bunted hard back. Yeah, I don't know. All it's, right, I like <laughs> that we're ending on like remembering guys, but also like we're watching the Mariners, so we kind of are still remembering guys in a way. Yeah, because <laughs> the, the Seattle Mets. Sam Haggerty, former Met, Mets West. Oh. Yeah. We're going to get some uh, some Chris Flexen in this game. Uh, I hope so, because that means that they play past the ninth. Yeah, it means it's I was I was really hoping that Haggerty would get on base and then Julio would hit a walk-off homer. Um, Twitter reaction says that it was a terrible bunt. So I, I don't okay. have video of it, but it seems like it was a terrible bunt. Julio, I mean, he's please. He's been hitting fine this year, hasn't he? Haggerty? Haggerty has been good. Yeah. He hit a home run off match. <gasps> yo, yo. Mine hasn't updated yet. Did he do it? Oh my God. Julio Rodriguez. Let's go. Let's go. Dude, I was watching this pitch come in. That is a cement mixer. You already know that's a cement mixer pitch, man. Look at that. You can't throw him that pitch. That's a terrible pitch. That's right in his happy zone. You can't do that. Oh, 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 my. This game has turned into an all-timer. This episode's going to be an all-timer, dude. Imagine, like, going to bed tonight thinking you're just going to get a normal PGE the next day on your way to work. Yeah, happy Monday. Yeah. Here's Mariners Braves for you. That is fantastic. That is- I I need to get a Julio Rodriguez jersey now. He's I probably he's, he's rookie of the year, right? Oh like, yeah, question AL rookie of the year because I'm trying to think of other people and no one's coming to mind. Yeah. Okay. As anticipated, Ty France will pinch hit for Taylor Trammell. So now you've got, uh, oh my God, 117 miles an hour off the bat on that Julio homer. Okay, that's ridiculous. Um, that's awesome. So Ty France now, who's, um, has not had a great second half, but still 276 average, 18 homers, 71 driven in, um, takes first pitch strike on a cutter, um, him. And then Suarez to follow who has home runs today and yesterday has 29 on the year now. And if they're able to get it past Suarez, it's Cal rally who has 23 homers, 20 of which as a left-hand batter. Okay, Ty France made an out. Damn. That's okay. 
this is this would just be such a kick to the nuts if you're the Braves to lose this game. It's already. It's it's already if it's yeah. The fact that it's just going extras is like your closer already blew the save on just like a piss missile homer. That's already demoralizing. See, I agree with that. I think that like the fact that you didn't just win the game after you pull off your comeback sucks, but there's always something to be said about winning a game that like you were about to catastrophically give away. Like when you snatch Vic or, you know, defeat, I guess just from the jaws of victory or whatever, whatever we're going to call it, like or victory from the jaws of defeat. I'm having trouble. Um, Yeah. I get what you mean. Yeah, like when you win a game, do you remember last year when the Mets were beating the Nationals? I think it was like nine to one or something. And then they just like in a span of two innings, like Andrew Stevenson hit like a grand slam to tie the game or something. And like it became a nine to nine game. And like they the Mets ended up winning that game anyway. Like I was I remember being just super hyped that they ended up winning that game despite blowing it because it's almost as though when you take a lead like that and then you, or really, I guess in this example, when you blow a lead that badly and then you take it right back, it's almost like a reverse Uno card of some. (gasps) (laughs) He what? He what? Suarez! That's a former former future Met, Eugenio Suarez. Wow. Oh my key made the Braves his baby in this series. Three homers in two days, and he wins it. Kick to the nuts. Felony frauds. See us rise, baby. Are you crying? Are you crying? (laughs) Game and a half back. L. Eat it. Dude, I'm have the Mets done it? They had a game like this. They had the game against the Giants. But that was yeah. so long ago. There, we've moved on from that. Kenley is so bad. Kenley Jansen is just bad. Oh it's... my goodness! The Mets lead the NL East by a game and a half. Yeah, you you just shouldn't be allowed to use narco in anything if your closer is that bad. Doesn't matter if it's not for the closer. Like you have to have a good closer if you want to use narco for anything. I think that should be the rule. So the Braves. Uh, have to take Narco away from William Contreras because it's not uh, it's not his. his. His clothes are ruined it for him. Anyway, go Mariners. Mets West. Mets up a game and a half now. We play the Cubs this week. We have it so easy. Dude, imagine. You like, would hope. I mean, it's Bassett tomorrow. It's Bassett against who is this? Um, It's uh, Javier Assad. Yeah. I don't really know. I don't know anything about this guy. He's got goggles. Looks like dollar store Alec Mills. <laughs> but we'll see. That, that's probably unfair. Maybe he's good. Oh, I, okay. L-F-G-M, where the M stands for Mariners. How about that? I agree. I agree. What an episode. What a time. Wow. All right. 95? 95. For the books. In the books. We got 89 wins. This, I think, is an episode that I will remember doing for a very long time. Wow. Hope you guys enjoyed. Obviously, if you're listening, you know, after we put this up, then it's a little different 
uh, you guys know the ending of this game. We're experiencing it in, in live time. We hope you enjoyed our reactions. The Mariners beat the Braves 8-7. The Mets beat the Marlins 9-3 today. A game and a half up in the NL East as the Mets return home for seven straight against the Cubs and Pirates. Um, Got to take them. Got to take these games. How about you take six of the next seven? That'll be good. Maybe seven of the next seven. Who knows? Uh, he's Jack Hendon. I'm Sam Lebowitz. This one's in the books. And Mariners fans, have a pleasant evening. Thank you.